Fired Up show starts right now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve, your host as always, and I'm so very happy that you've taken the time to uh, download and access our podcast. Each week we talk about the political machine here in the United States, what's right, what's wrong, what's working, what's not, and uh, we've got a jam-packed show as always for you uh, this episode. So let's get strapped in and get right into it. As we always do here on Fired Up, uh, we start off with keeping you up to date on where we are with the COVID pandemic. And yes, it's still out there and uh, still has impacts, as we'll talk about in a second. But first off, as always, uh, we run down how many cases have been reported. And we're up to 82.4 million cases here in the U.S., 985,400 people uh, have uh, died from the COVID uh, disease, and there have been a total of 563.5 million vaccines uh, administered. That includes uh, single-dose and double-dose vaccinations that have been uh, given out. And as we're going to talk about in a quick second, we can see the importance of continuing to get those vaccinations and do the things we need to do because we're not out of the woods yet, good people. Uh, In fact, uh, we may be looking at going back into uh, the woods again with the COVID pandemic. So what what I mean by that is uh, the latest variant that is making the rounds uh, here in the U.S. as it has around the world Uh, and continues to uh, infect more people. It has become the number one uh, COVID uh, variant that is being seen in hospitals uh, as we speak. And, you know, there are some things going on that are impacting our ability to uh, accurately assess just how bad the situation is and, you know, how effective our treatment programs are. And what I mean by that is, that the uh, testing industry uh, has been hit with uh, political uh, hatchet uh, in impacting the funding necessary to continue uh, the you know free testing and the provision of home testing kits and other methods of testing, tracing, and tracking where the disease is uh, occurring here in our country. Uh, that has been uh, cut down in half by the Republican wing of uh, the, the Congress and the Senate. And as a result, uh, the as a result of their actions, the results of testing is going to get a little bit more cloudy as we go forward. Um, we're already seeing drops in the numbers of uh, laboratory testing that's being done. And, you know, that's because, in part, the government subsidies that made those tests free in most cases uh, are are going, if not gone already. And the the cost for paying for those tests, if you pay for them yourself or through your insurance company or whatever, those costs for tests have actually uh, been on the rise, uh, along with all the other. Uh, costs and prices here in this country, and you know, we'll talk about inflation effects uh, later on in the broadcast. 
But what that means is that, you know, fewer tests are being administered. Uh, the abilities of laboratories and uh, agencies to track the data and the results of testing is being impacted. So at the end of the day, we have a fuzzy picture of what is actually going on with the COVID pandemic and this new uh, DB2 variant that's out there and, and gaining speed around through various areas in the country. Uh, and all that's going to do is cloud the issue and make uh, treatment and efforts to uh, curtail and control the disease just that much more difficult. So, you know, thank you to uh, Congress and to the Senate for taking, you know, the concerns of the American people and shoving them to the side uh, and, you know, just not uh, working to assist uh, those of us out here who need, you know, the testing, who need the home, you know, test kits availability, who need these things in order for us to stay informed, to stay aware of, you know, how the illness is progressing in, you know, our families, our neighborhoods, our communities, etc. So, you know, just a, another case of where politics has run roughshod over the public, uh, in my opinion. Um, what we're also seeing, as I said, is the latest variant uh, of the Omicron uh, variety of COVID uh, is proving to be uh, more contagious than earlier uh, variants, uh, although in, in, in truth it is also uh, less infectious, uh, the, the outcomes and the results are, you know, weaker than prior versions of the virus. That's a good thing. Um, but, you know, it, it still doesn't diminish the need for the basic care that we all have to give ourselves, and that is to get vaccinated, uh, to wear our masks, and also, you know, practice good hygiene, social distancing, all of the things we've been talking about now out in Phenotum for two years plus. Um, and that's the, the primary way that we are going to corral this pandemic and keep it under some kind of control. So put a pin in, you know, the uh, efforts by our elected officials at hamstringing our ability to keep track of the progress of the pandemic in our country. Let's mark that and put that up in the column because we're gonna, we're gonna talk about the things that we really need to uh, take account and hold our elected officials accountable for going forward. So that's item number one. All right, um, all right let's, uh, let's turn away from COVID for a moment. Uh, let's go through some of the headlines that we saw uh, this week, some of the top headlines. Of course, um, you know, one of the top items was the confirmation on Thursday of Judge um, Katanji Brown Jackson to become the next Associate Justice of the Supreme Court upon the retirement of uh, Justice Breyer. And that's anticipated to be, you know, at the end of the current Supreme Court term, which is 
uh, slated to be in June. Uh, congratulations to now Justice Katanji Brown Jackson uh, on her historic uh, appointment to the Supreme Court. Uh, and, you know, of course, no good thing goes unpunished or unmarred. Uh, if you watch the video of the uh, reading of the vote of the Senate in confirming uh, Justice Jackson, and uh, what you heard was, you know, Vice President Harris, in her role as President of the Senate, uh, recorded the vote as 53 votes yay, 47 votes nay, uh, along, you know, party lines. And, and it was a bipartisan vote as three Republicans joined all 50 Democrats in voting to confirm uh, Justice Jackson to the, the highest court. Uh, and upon, you know, conclusion of their voting, not uh, conclusion of uh, Vice President Harris reading the results of the vote, but right after they voted, the Republican uh, Senate contingent uh, en masse, almost 100 uh, percent, stood up, turned and walked out. They didn't even stick around to hear the report of the vote count. Uh, on top of that, uh, we had a, a couple of senators uh, flaunting the Senate rules. Um, Lindsey Graham uh, was not wearing a tie, which means he was not allowed to be on the floor of the Senate. It's a Senate rule that the proper attire for a senator to be on the floor of the Senate includes wearing a tie for for uh, for gentlemen. And uh, as a result, he had to cast his no vote from the Senate cloakroom, uh, which is, you know, adjacent to the, the Senate chamber, but he's not, quote, on the floor, close quote. And the the final tally of the vote was delayed for more than 20 minutes. Uh, while we while, you know, they were waiting for Senator Rand Paul to show up for the vote, you know, and and understand 99 out of 100 senators were there on the floor, properly dressed in their seats at the appointed hour. Rand Paul was 20 minutes late. OK, so and and, you know, Rand Paul, 20 minutes late. Lindsey Graham not wearing a tie. Side note, he was interviewed on television earlier that morning and he was wearing a tie, which means he took it off. All right. Put a pin in those uh, and and add those to the column, you know, about the uh, disrespect for the proper political uh, process of decorum that is supposed to be the hallmark of the United States Senate. Um, you know, the, the House is the more uh, precocious uh, branch of government. The Senate is supposed to be the studied, the, the deliberative body uh, where, you know, substantive decisions get rendered and there is a sense of uh, abiding decorum that is maintained by the members of the Senate. Um, Yet here we have two senators, uh, you know, 
who you know totally flaunted long-standing rules and it's not like this was their first vote people not like this was their first rodeo in voting a supreme court justice onto the bench they know the procedures like i said lindsey graham had a tie on earlier in the day which means he took that tie off before he had to go in and vote uh rand paul Lord knows where he was, but he was more than 20 minutes late for a vote that had been on the, the schedule to occur for at least a week. Uh, once the, the confirmation came out of the Judiciary Committee, the vote is scheduled and published by the, uh, by the leader of the Senate and put into the Senate calendar. So it, it's not like, you know, they just dropped this meeting at the last minute. Um, so mark that as a second item that we're, we're going to come back to when we talk about uh, professional politics uh, in the United States in 2022. Um, so Justice Jackson has been confirmed. She will become the first black female justice on the Supreme Court in history after 115 uh, appointments to the bench since the founding of the country and the, the inception of the Supreme Court. Uh, she is the first black female that will will sit on the highest court in the land. Uh, she will also increase the number of women on the court to four. Uh, now, it, it is not going to change the ideological uh, makeup of the court. It will still be, you know, six air quotes, conservative justices and three air quotes, liberal uh, justices. But it is it is safe to say that, you know, the addition of Justice Jackson to the court is going to uh, in 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 some ways and hopefully in many ways change the inflection of the court to many issues, particularly those involving women and involving you know people of color, as she brings her unique perspective and her unique voice uh, into the mix. Now, does this mean that the Supreme Court is going to you know pivot on its head and and become this this bastion of support for women and minorities here in the U.S.? Not likely, but. It will likely, as I said, change the inflection, add some more uh, diverse talking points. Uh, hopefully she will do the things that, you know, Clarence Thomas should have been doing in his 30 years on the bench. Um, you know, and it, it, it isn't about conservative versus liberal or progressive or moderate or whatever. It is about bringing the perspective of your experience, your professional experience, your life experience, and the things that, that, that make you who you are, bringing those elements and adding that perspective into the discussion uh, when the justices are deciding cases. So hopefully, and uh, if, if her hearings are any indication of how she will perform as a Supreme Court justice, um, I think she is going to make a, a good-sized difference in the nature of the Supreme Court going forward. So, you know, congratulations, Justice. 
Ketanji Brown Jackson. Welcome to the Supreme Court and welcome to a new chapter in American history. Um, all right, another headline that uh, has been in the news this week and has been in the news every week for the last uh, you know, eight weeks, 10 weeks, um, is the war in Ukraine. And, you know, the, the Ukrainian defense forces have continued to stand the Russian army uh, straight up and still, and in many cases have pushed them back. Um, you know, Russia has left Kyiv. Uh, they have left several other communities uh, and, and have, have withdrawn to uh, more rear positions. However, it is also noted that they are using this opportunity to resupply their forces uh, and uh, hopefully um, the Ukrainians will be able to meet whatever new challenge comes out of that. Um, there has also been talk of increased usage by the Russians of uh, missiles and rockets and the aiming and targeting of civilian targets not military targets uh, with these. We have seen what they have done to several cities uh, in Ukraine where they have essentially leveled those cities. Uh, they have hit uh, schools. They have hit uh, residential apartment buildings. They have hit nursing homes and hospitals, uh, which are supposed to be taboo targets uh, in war, according to every convention uh, on the planet. There are just some things that you don't shoot at uh, when you are at war intentionally. Um, we, we all know that collateral damage happens. We all know that sometimes enemy combatants will stage their troops in the vicinity of one of these taboo targets as a method of keeping uh, the opposing force from targeting their troops uh, for fear of hitting you know, these, these uh, uh, off off the line or, or these these targets that are out of play and as as it were so you know the the ukrainians continue to you know truly truly fight above their weight class in going against uh the russians uh for the sovereignty and the the security of their homeland uh they continue to get support from the U.S. and from European allies, uh, the EU and NATO, uh, with uh, materiel as far as in addition to um, money and humanitarian aid, uh, and you know, in, in some cases, you know, protection uh, to keep open these corridors of safe passage for people who are fleeing the the battles uh, and trying to get out of Ukraine for the time being. So we, we will keep an eye on that. Uh, it, is, it is heavily covered in the mainstream media, uh, but you know if there are other interesting stories that we find, we will bring them to you. On the economic front here in the US, and there's been a lot of talk uh, and a lot of discussion and a lot of news uh, coverage of the, the situation with inflation going on here in our country and in fact uh, around the world, um, the, the effects of inflation uh, are being felt. Uh, the, the 
current inflation levels, you know, we have seen price increases on, you know, most commodities here in the U.S. Of course, you know, you, you can't not notice the fact that, you know, gas prices have gone up, you know, more than a uh, dollar or two dollars a gallon, depending on where you are in the country. Um, I think the last time I saw gas prices in California, they were uh, just under six dollars a gallon. Um, here, where where I live in Pennsylvania, uh, gas prices have been above uh, four dollars for the last uh, couple of months, and they've been as high in some gas stations as as uh, four dollars and eighty cents a gallon, uh, or or just shy of five dollars a gallon, depending on where where it is that you live. Uh, you know, uh, the the price increases have hit groceries, they have hit clothing. Uh, they have hit, you know, just every commodity that's out there that we purchase. And, you know, it, it is in part because of the, the war in Ukraine and the sanctions that have been happening with Russia in terms of uh, its energy, its oil and natural gas. So, you know, it is, it is part and parcel of what's going on with the situation in Europe. And, you know, it just points out the fact that we are a global market, a global commodity uh, marketplace. So, you know, we will keep keep look at that and, you know, hopefully uh, get some insights on how that is changing and how it will continue to change and hopefully go down as the weeks go by. And another headline that uh, actually isn't news. We've been talking about this now uh, for the for the better part of all of the time that Fired Up has been broadcasting, and it's the battles that are occurring uh, over the abortion issue. Uh, we've talked extensively about uh, what's transpired in Texas and what has been happening in Florida and Mississippi in the Supreme Court battle and all of that. Uh, over the last few weeks, uh, quietly, I guess you could say, because uh, I have not seen a lot of discussion about this uh, on you know, other broadcast media, on the cable networks, uh, you know, and, and so forth, is that uh, several states uh, have been uh, battling over uh, the provision or the blocking of access to abortion in those states, uh, for example, uh, Oklahoma, which was, you know, kind of a haven for uh, women who were seeking abortions in Texas and couldn't because of the restrictive law there, uh, they are actually uh, proposing legislation or working on legislation that would uh, close those doors as well, making it that much more difficult uh, for. Uh, women who are seeking, uh, you know, health services in general and abortion services in particular. Uh, you know, we've seen the same thing. Of course, Mississippi's law is uh, heading to the Supreme Court and, uh, according to some analysts, could be the, uh, the law that pulls the linchpin uh, of Roe v. Wade uh, out from under it and makes essentially... Uh, getting an abortion in the United States 
a uh, illegal act. You know, and as I've said before, I mean, I'm I'm old enough to remember the times uh, prior to uh, Roe v. Wade in 1973, uh, where you know, getting a terminating a pregnancy uh, for a female was a health threatening event in in some cases. Um, you know, clinics were largely unregulated. And procedures were, you know, sometimes particularly in uh, poor communities or rural communities were, you know, less than sanitary, shall we say. So, you know, the, the life of the, the mother was at risk, uh, even if the, you know, there wasn't anything wrong with the pregnancy. I'm not saying that, you know, we will get back to a scenario like that. I think medical science has progressed too far. But I think that uh, if Roe is uh, overturned and, you know, these uh, state laws uh, setting these bans on receiving an abortion uh, are upheld, that we are going to see a uh, black market industry for pregnancy termination services, uh, you know, where there will be these these undisclosed locations where these services are being held. Um, and again, the only uh, outcome from that is going to be, in my opinion, and I'm not a doctor, but the only outcome I see uh, coming from that is an increase in the risk to, uh, to the health of the women and, um, you know, and, and like that. So that, you know, as I said, Many states have been quietly uh, pushing legislation through to uh, increase the restrictions. Uh, several states have uh, in, in their proposed legislation that they do not make an exception uh, in the case of rape or incest. Uh, and uh, there is at least one state that requires two parent notification, which in, in the case of incest means that uh, the, the victim would need to notify the perpetrator that they are getting an abortion. Um, you know, it, it, is, it is just a crazy reality uh, that we're living through right now. And, you know, it, it, it also illustrates uh, the third point that I want to put in the collection of things that we want to talk about, uh, you know, is where is the conservative and Republican thinking in terms of caring for those who you know, are in the position for needing that care? And I'm speaking particularly uh, for uh, females uh, who are victims of you know, rape, assault, incest, and so forth, and find themselves in need of you know, a, a termination for the pregnancy. Uh, the the approach of our legal system uh, seems to be very cold and heartless, at least in my opinion. So, you know, let, let's let's bundle these up because it, it all points to a question that I want to put to uh, conservative and, you know, in general and Republicans in particular is... When you look at these steps, when you look at these things that, that I've cited here, 
um, you know, the restrictions on funding or the removal of funding for, you know, critical COVID testing and treatment, the, um, the, the, the treatment of a potential Supreme Court nominee, which if you look at the history of Supreme Court nominations in this country, uh, the, this one and the, uh, the Cody Barrett and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch uh, nominations all, you know, fall way outside of the norm for the decorum uh, and, um, and process that nominating and confirming a Supreme Court justice has held. Now, you know, the argument is, is that all of this rolls back to the nomination hearings for uh, Robert Bork back in the late 70s or early 80s, as I recall, you know, uh, and and others since then that have been contentious. But, you know, the 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 treatment and the questions and the attitudes that we have seen in, you know, the last four Supreme Court um, nomination confirmation processes, um, you know, and and again, you know, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett were Republican appointees, and the Democrats were the ones being, you know, asking rude and obnoxious questions. And of course, you know, we all saw, you know, how they uh, treated uh, Justice. Uh, Jackson in her confirmation hearings um, and you know the the idea of what's going on with conservative politics uh, in the states with regard to uh, the provision of abortions uh, and you know uh, women's health issues it, it points to raising the question is you know what is going on with the conservative and and you know republican movement in this country uh it republicans you know have always been or at least since the the mid-60s um republicans have always been uh the more conservative of the two parties have always been more concerned with uh you know controlling government spending controlling the size of government uh, and and that's all well and good, but now they are you know turning the government into into this intrusive entity that seeks to you know dig down into every uh, aspect of American life. Look at the uh, Florida uh, parent parental choice laws, the so-called "don't say gay" uh, laws. You know this is. This is way far and beyond where Republicans have gone in the past, um, you know, and it, it, it raises some concerns about, you know, what this country is going to look like, um, you know, should the Republicans take control of the House and Senate. And I'm going to talk about that uh, in a second after we we do our break for PSA and, uh, you know, what it's going to mean for the rest of us so let's let's break here uh, i've got a psa for you guys to check out uh, you're listening to the fired up podcast uh, it's being brought to you from wjms media and it's available wherever 
you get your podcasts. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, stay home except to get medical care. Monitor your symptoms. If your symptoms get worse, contact your doctor. Get rest and stay hydrated. Avoid public transportation, ride-sharing, or taxis. And take these six steps to protect others. Wear a mask over your mouth and nose if you must be around other people. Cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when you cough or sneeze. Clean your hands often with soap and water or use hand sanitizer, especially after coughing or sneezing. As much as possible, stay in a separate room and away from others in your home. Avoid sharing personal household items such as dishes, utensils, towels, or bedding. Wash these items thoroughly after using them. And clean all surfaces that are touched often, like counters and doorknobs, every day. To learn more, visit cdc.gov. And we're back. Uh, public service message brought to you by your friends here at Fired Up Podcast and WJMS Media. Uh, all right, picking up where we left off. So I, I raised the point of the three elements that I had mentioned uh, in terms of the treatment in the confirmation hearing of uh, Justice Jackson, the stripping of funds from you know, needed care and treatment uh, for COVID uh, as well as testing, um, how the confirmation of Justice Jackson was handled and, you know, what we saw transpire uh, once the vote was concluded. Uh, and, you know, also the current slate of states that are enacting quietly um, more restrictive uh, anti-abortion legislation around the country as the Supreme Court, you know, looks to take up the uh, case out of Mississippi, which could ultimately lead to the overturning of Roe v. Wade uh, and the removal of constitutional protections for uh, women to, to receive abortion services here in this country. Um, it, it points to what you know, what's going on with this country? What's this country going to look like? Uh, as we come up on the midterm elections, um, you know, the, there are three schools of thought as to what's going to happen. Uh, there's the optimistic school, there's the pessimistic school, and there is the uh, realist, pragmatic school. So, you know, the optimist school says that there is a chance the Democrats will retain uh, control of uh, at least the House. They may lose the Senate or they could likely control, um, continue to control both the House and Senate. Uh, what we're seeing in, in the redistricting process uh, indicates a little ray of, of light for hope in that case, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, the pessimistic school says that, you know, the Democrats are going to lose the House, they're going to lose the Senate, uh, and, you know, that that's going to change the nature of politics in this country. That's going to change uh, what the Biden administration gets done, if anything, uh, going forward for the you know, remaining time in the first term of President Biden. 
uh, and the pragmatic side um, is more in concurrence with the pessimistic side than with the optimistic side. Uh, the pragmatists uh, out there believe that you know the the change is going to happen, but you know there is the opportunity for you know Republicans to take a more measured and studied stance on these issues and hopefully move away from you know the reactionary politics that we've seen over the last you know uh, six years uh, recently and and you know 12 years uh, honestly so you know it, it is going to be interesting um, if the Republicans do, uh, take control of the House and Senate. Much as what happened with uh, President Obama in, in his first term, uh, the lack of a Democratic majority is going to make the ability for President Biden to get things done in the Senate much more difficult in terms of legislation. And you know there will then be a reliance more on the executive action uh, method, you know, executive orders to get things done. And of course, the weakness of those is that executive orders can be, you know, overturned and ended uh, with a stroke of a pen once a new administration uh, takes office. And, and we saw that happen when, you know, former President Trump took over and, and immediately uh, canceled, you know, dozens of Obama era executive orders. Uh, for a wide variety of programs. So, you know, we're looking at uh, what could be, again, another sea change from one side to the other, another flip-flop uh, as we change administration. And, and we should be real about that. You know, this has been the process uh, probably the last, you know, 20 years in, in, you know, as we saw when, you know, Trump took over from Obama, uh, when Obama took over from uh, George W. Bush, when George W. Bush took over from Bill Clinton, when Bill Clinton took over from George H. W. Bush. We've seen this process of one of the first things that a new incoming president does is take out a huge eraser and try to erase much of what the prior administration um, got in place. Um, and that's primarily because our country has been uh, politically and ideologically divided for you know many years, and you know this has impacted how not only we react to politics but how politics is run in this state uh, or in this country rather. And you know it it is something that uh, we should be concerned about uh, the. The premise of America is, you know, from many one. Uh, and as we see the progression we are currently on, where we could very realistically become essentially a one party country through, you know, the uh, Republican exercise of the restrictions on voting and, you know, just their overall uh shaping the electorate and shaping the election results so that they end up having, you know, the majority of control in this country for a long time to come. Uh, that could mean some very 
significant uh, impacts for everyday people. You know, if we, we look at what we see being proposed in the states now, from you know, voter restrictions to education reforms that are very you know, uh, one-sided and restrictive uh, to you know, removing books you know, from schools. Uh, there was a news article that came across the line uh, this past week where there is a, a bill uh, being proposed uh, in, in one state that would allow someone anywhere to recommend to a school committee in uh, this given state uh, on what books should be removed from the shelves of the libraries and the shelves of the classrooms. And, you know, the, the idea being, you know, yeah, parental choice in, you know, what books are, are available to students is one thing. Uh, anybody choice uh, for what books you know, a, a given school district should uh, make available is something entirely different. And, you know, these are the kinds of issues that, you know, the, the electorate needs to weigh in on. You know, as we often, you know, say, you know, a call to action and, you know, practicing activism, these are two key areas for which those terms apply. Uh, we need to look carefully at the laws that are being proposed uh, particularly by our state legislatures, you know, again, it, you know, the the federal government uh, sets some parameters in terms of our everyday lives. Uh, it is the state and local governments that are the day-to-day people that impact how we get to live our lives, and as a result, we need to make sure that. Not only are we focused on what's going on in Washington, but we're focused on what's going on in our state houses, in our, our, our city halls, in our town councils, in our county boards, and so forth, because that's where the rubber re- meets the road in terms of how our government impacts our daily lives. So, you know, definitely, you know, as we come down to six months till the midterms, uh, and, and we see and we, we will hear what's going to happen in those elections as we get closer to them, all the more reason for us as citizens to be politically engaged, to be politically active, to be aware, to be educated, to understand, the, uh, to understand what the ground rules are, what the the issues are and you know where our leaders stand on it with regard to where we want them to stand on it so some food for thought there um, I wanted to jump next in, in related subject we've talked about a great deal on this show especially since the 2020 election is the redistricting going on in this country uh, as required by the Constitution uh, as you know, uh, every 10 years, the Constitution requires that a head count be taken of the number of people living in the United States of America and where they live. Uh, as a result of those counts, uh, the number of uh, congressional seats in Washington is realigned every 10 years. It, you know, it, it's called, um, you know, the, the count is updated and you know the districts are redrawn accordingly 
so that each congressperson represents an equivalent number of people. So a as a result, you know, what we've seen is the exercise of gerrymandering districts uh, based on the desires of the party that controls uh, the state legislature and, and uh, governor's house in the states uh, has been a battleground uh, since the 2020 elections uh, concluded and continues. What we're seeing is that, as we've reported, uh, many of the, the states have uh, pretty much concluded their redistricting efforts and maps have been redrawn. And we're starting to see the numbers uh, and the change in numbers that has occurred in the states. And what we, um, what we are seeing is that, uh, you know, as reported from the uh, political website 538, uh, 41 states uh, have now finished redrawing their congressional maps, uh, not counting six states uh, with only one congressional district. Um, only Florida, Missouri, and New Hampshire have yet to approve a new map, and we could be waiting for a while for those. In all three states, stakeholders in the redistricting process are at odds about what kind of maps to pass. Um, you know, and as we went into this on the front end, uh, we saw and thought that, you know, Republicans were going to kind of run uh, much of the board uh, in, in the states in terms of the, the, the number of representatives they would have. But it actually turned out Democrats have gained ground from the process. Uh, according to 538, so far redistricting has created 10 more Democratic-leaning seats nationally, six fewer Republican-leaning seats, and five fewer highly competitive seats. And uh, what this is being attributed to is aggressive map drawing in uh, states such as New York, as well as some court decisions that overturned Republican uh, gerrymanders in North Carolina. Um, you know, so it, it is clear that, um, you know, the, the redistricting uh, has, you know, gone forward, but that the results have fallen somewhere outside of what was predicted. Uh, I won't go through all 50 states and where they stand, but uh, just hitting some of the highlights, um, you know, states where, you know, Republicans gain ground uh, include Arizona, um, Kansas and who else? Tennessee, you know, states where Democrats gained ground, uh, included Illinois, um, da -da -da -da, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, uh, Oregon. And state the, the balance of the states, neither party gained significant ground or there was uh, no reported change. Uh, it, it stayed pretty much the same. Um, so what, what does this mean? Well, it means that the, the congressional map, uh, the number of Congress seats, uh, while it may shift, it is not going to shift greatly due to redistricting um, and 
really will shift more based on the outcomes of the midterm elections, which, you know, obviously uh, are a, a subject of great contention right now and will continue to be right up until the day uh, all of us go cast our votes. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, what this means is that, you know, Republicans will likely hold on to those states that they uh, control now, uh, plus or minus a few where Democrats are going to uh, take over or make inroads. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll have, you know, pretty much the same number of red states, pretty much, this, uh, you know, the same number of blue states, but we'll have interjected into that a larger number of so-called purple states um, where, you know, neither side has has a distinct and complete advantage. So, uh, again, all this um, favors the, you know, the, the pessimistic or, you know, pragmatic view of what's going to happen uh, in the House of Representatives uh, as a result of the midterms uh, in terms of Republicans taking control. Uh, again, you know, odds makers and, and most people do believe that at the end of the day in the midterms, as historically happened, uh, that the uh, control of the House and the Senate will in, in fact flip from, uh, from blue to red. Uh, what's that going to mean in terms of the Biden administration and its, uh, you know, its, its political processes? Uh, much like we saw with President Obama when uh, he lost control of the House and Senate, uh, it is going to turn into a much steeper uphill battle for the Biden administration to get its agenda done, uh, given the rhetoric we're seeing coming from Republican leadership now, uh, talking about you know such terms as making Biden uh, you know more toward a, a moderate approach or you know, making, you know, him a, a one-term president like they had promised to do with Obama. Uh, fortunately, that did not work out that way. Um, but, you know, we will see what transpires post-midterm. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that it is uh, going to be a rougher road for Democrats uh, for the final two years of President Biden's first term. Uh, whether or not he can rally around and uh, be elected to a second term or as as some rumors have it that, you know, he chooses not to run uh, and, you know, a another Democrat uh, runs for president uh, to take over, you know, and, you know, there are a bunch of names being bandied about. Uh, most notably, of course, um, Vice President Harris would be the most likely candidate for president if uh, President Biden uh, decides not to run or is unable to run. We will see what happens with that. Um, you know, it's it's clear that, you know, this this country, our country um, has um, a difficult road that we walk. Uh, we are, you know, as I said, politically and ideo ideologically divided. Uh, the extremes of both sides uh, are, you know, very much engaged in, you know, the politics 
of you know accusation, the politics of uh, innuendo, the politics of uh, of distraction, you know, and you know what that means is that we the people uh, are being you know are, are chasing all of these distracting elements rather than being focused on those key important tasks that we have to do uh, in order to assist, to help, and support all Americans. Uh, right now, uh, it is very clear that uh, politics in this country is a game that favors the, the wealthy and well-heeled. Um, you know, you, you look at uh, who, who is, is benefiting from, from policies enacted by our government, uh, of course, you know, you can point to the uh, tax cuts from the prior administration that almost exclusively went to the wealthiest Americans. You can look at how the Republicans in the current uh, House and Senate have been on the warpath against uh, additional uh, tax cuts uh, aimed at the wealthiest uh, of us and, you know, l looking at how they are protecting their their moneyed interest uh you know we still have the ability for you know corporations and other quote dark money close quote to fund our political campaigns uh pretty much uh unchecked and you know it, it is just uh a a situation where if you step back and look at it uh you almost you know, come to the conclusion of how, how do we get anything done uh, with so much uh, inter-party wrangling and bickering going back and forth. Uh, you look at the, uh, the media messages we see out there where the attacks that are going against candidates, uh, for the most part, uh, are not attacks on principle and policy, but they are the attacks on personality and you know the individual uh you know negative ads rule the day and that just takes away from having any kind of a substantive discussion on the issues that are critical to the everyday lives of most americans here in this country you know we can we can look at how the covid pandemic has been treated uh in in this country uh, by the current administration. And while there have been, you know, some significant milestones and gains, uh, there are still, uh, the political process has undercut a lot of the humanitarian elements of caring for the sick uh, people in this country as a result of COVID. Uh, we still see that there are, you know, way too many uh, as a percentage uh, poor and people of color and and so forth who are you know lacking the the more substantive treatments that you know rich uh, people are getting in this country um, you know there is just so much we have to accomplish in terms of turning our country around and ev every day that goes by and every election that we complete seems to make that task uh, more and more daunting and further and further away from seeing a successful uh, conclusion to it. 
So, you know, again, as always, you know, the, the key is for the electorate, that's us, to be as well informed as possible from as wide a number of sources as possible. And, you know, take that knowledge and turn it into activism and, you know, reach out and communicate, talk to our elected officials and let them know what we think and let them know that, you know, their very ability to stay, you know, in office is dependent on what they do with the things that we want them to do. So uh, we'll keep on this. This is a continuing subject here on Fired Up. It's something we talk about every show. So, you know, strap in and, and pay attention. All right, let's um let's let's look at, at some other elements kind of related to this, but uh you know, something from a different uh perspective. I found a uh a survey that was completed by the Pew Research Center, and I like to find uh these kinds of uh polls and surveys because really they do what you know I, I keep advising that we all should do is that they focus on the facts and allow us to draw our own conclusions based on what uh, other people in you know the country are are saying and, and are acting on. Um, so this one came out uh, toward the end of March, and it, again it's from the Pew Research Center, and the the subject is. Republicans more likely than Democrats to say partisan control of Congress, quote, really matters, close quote. And, you know, the, the, the byline below says 71% of Republican vote voters say their vote for Congress is against Biden. And, you know, beyond just the pure politics of, you know, an anti-Biden vote, um, the, the survey asked about uh, what the opinions were of, you know, Republicans and Democrats uh, and uh, those that lean Republican or Democrat. And, you know, it, it cites, you know, that uh, in a shift from 2018 midterms, Republicans more likely than Democrats to say part partisan control of Congress really matters. And it, it's got some charts in it that shows... Um, in February of 2018, 65% um, of all responding voters said that uh, partisan control uh, really mattered, with 65% uh, of Republican or leaning Republican uh, agreeing with that, and 67% uh, of Democrat or leaning Democrat agree with that. If we jump to March of 2022, uh, the number of all respondents drops to 63%. The number of Republicans goes up to 70%. And the number of Democrats uh, drops to 60% uh, for those that think that uh, partisan control of Congress is extremely important. Uh, and, you know, it is interesting that it starts off saying at this early stage of the campaign, President Joe Biden is much more of a motivating factor for Republican than Democratic voters. And again, it cites the 71% of Republican and Republican leaning said they think their vote as being against Biden and uh, far fewer Democrat leaning voters uh, view their vote as a vote for 
President Biden, and that number comes in at 46 percent. So, you know, and, and the other thing I like about, you know, Pew Research Center polls is their polls are um, very, very well populated. Uh, it, I did a segment uh, in an earlier show uh, where I talked about the relevance of polls and how you have to look at the number of people that they talk to. Usually you'll see polls that talk to 1,000 people or maybe 1,500, 2,500, whatever. This poll from the Pew Research Center, a uh, survey of 10,441 uh, U.S. adults, including 9,021 registered voters, uh, and this was conducted in mid-March of this year, and um, finds that most voters, uh, 63%, say which party wins control of Congress in this year's elections really matters. And, you know, again, that's comparable to what they said in 2018. Um, you know, it is it is clear from the survey that, you know, the Republican sentiment is clearly that it is going to be a vote against Biden. Uh, and if you think about it, the uh, 2020 election, uh, a, a significant number, perhaps even a majority of the voters, that voted for Joe Biden actually said they were voting against Donald Trump. Um, so, you know, and, and that speaks to what I was saying earlier about our political and ideological divide in this country. And, you know, that we tend to vote for, you know, people that we quote like, uh, and we tend to not vote for people that we quote don't like. So, you know, but as we look at the midterms, we see, you know, kind of a different dynamic here showing up, um, you know, and and some of the the questions that they asked uh, and they cite, you know, about three quarters of Democrats are confident that midterms will be conducted fairly compared with only about half of Republicans. So, you know, it, it, it's saying that uh you know, some 75% of Democrats believe that the elections will be free and fair, and only about 50% of Republicans uh, say that they feel that way. And, you know, I, I've heard some recent uh, media stories talking about, uh, you know, the messaging that's coming out in terms of, you know, believing in the vote. And, of course, we, we continue to go through the, quote, big lie, close quote, uh, campaigns uh, that the former president is running and what we're hearing from some of his spokespeople, you know, in, in terms of what happened in the 2020 election. Um, so, you know, it, it, this poll shows, you know, not only what uh, people are truly thinking, but also it gives you an insight into what the impact of these continuing messages are that are coming out, uh, particularly from the Republican side of the equation in talking about, you know, the, the fairness and legitimacy of the election. So, you know, a as always, you know, it's something that we need to be aware of. It's something that we need to uh, uh, take into account. It's research that we need to do. It's knowledge we need to gain. So uh, we're going to we're going to wrap it up right there. Uh, thank you all for listening as you do each week. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I look forward to uh, getting your thoughts 
And, you know, everybody, please stay safe. And we'll be launching another edition of Fired Up in podcast uh, in seven days. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.